Good morning. If you have your Bible with you this morning, will you take it out and go over into your Old Testament to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 25. Please take out your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 25. Certainly a blessing to be one step closer to some normalcy in 2020. Looking forward to our time today as in an extended worship service to our God. It's going to be an encouraging and a wonderful day. We give God the glory for, for this opportunity. It was in 1989 that the Dallas Cowboys, a team that many of you know I utterly despise, pulled off one of the most lopsided trades in the history of professional sports. And for you, all of you football fans out there this morning, do you by any chance remember that trade? Do you remember the lopsided trade that the Cowboys pulled off in 1989? It actually all started in 1985. It all started in 1985 when they drafted a running back by the name of Herschel Walker. You ever heard of Herschel Walker before? Herschel Walker was a really good running back for the Cowboys in the mid-1980s. In fact, there was one particular year when he ran for over 1,500 yards. He had become one of the best running backs in the league during his time in Dallas in the Minnesota Vikings, they wanted him badly. They wanted him immensely. They thought that he would be the final piece they needed to win their first championship. And so in 1989, they, the Vikings, they entered into negotiations with the Cowboys for his services. They entered into negotiations for a trade for Herschel Walker, and when it was all said and done, the Minnesota Vikings were able to acquire him, but it cost them a lot. It actually cost them about 11 players. It cost them five players from their current roster and six future draft picks. Now, at the time, in 1989, when this deal was done, the Vikings, as well as everyone, nearly everybody in the media, thought that the price the Vikings paid for Herschel Walker was worth it. Nearly everybody thought that this was a pretty good deal, but as a couple of years went by, it became crystal clear that it wasn't a good deal. It wasn't a good deal at all. You see, not only did Herschel Walker play poorly during his two and a half years in Minnesota, but with those draft picks, the Dallas Cowboys were able to draft some key players that would launch them to three Super Bowl championships in the 1990s. Some of those players you may have heard of before. One of them was a man named Emmitt Smith, the NFL all-time leading rusher. Another one was named All-Pro Safety, Darren Woodson. And then they also drafted a guy named Alvin Harper, who would be a perfect complement receiver to an already great receiver they had on the team, a future Hall of Famer named Michael Irvin. 
the Minnesota Vikings paid a huge price for the services of somebody who didn't do much for them at all. And to be fair, to be fair to the Vikings, I think it is important that we understand that they did not intentionally start these negotiations trying to make a bad deal. They didn't start out trying to make a bad exchange. In fact, when they initially made the exchange, they thought they were being smart. They thought they were doing the right thing. They actually thought that the price for Herschel Walker was the right price. It was only later, a couple of years later, that they realized they made a bad mistake. And unfortunately, unfortunately, this problem of people making bad exchanges, it didn't start in 1989. It didn't start with what the Minnesota Vikings did back in 1989. Instead, this is something that you can read about in the Bible. This is something that you can read about in the book of Genesis. In fact, one of the greatest examples we have of this is found right here in Genesis chapter 25. I want to read to you some verses from Genesis chapter 25, beginning with verse number 27. But before I do that, I want to take a moment or two to set up the context for what's going on here. Here in the context of Genesis chapter 25, we read about the time when Esau, Esau made a foolish exchange with his brother Jacob. Do you remember that? Remember, Esau was part of a very important Old Testament family. He was part of the family of the patriarchs. His grandfather was Abraham. His father was Isaac and his twin brother was Jacob. In fact, Esau was the oldest of the twin brothers. And we got to understand that during that time, during the time of the patriarchs, being the oldest brother was a big deal. Being the oldest brother was very significant. Being the oldest brother meant that Esau was entitled to something called the birthright blessing. Someone says, Sean, what is the birthright blessing? Well, my friend, the birthright blessing was a blessing that was given to the firstborn. and It entitled him the special privileges and honors and blessings and blessings that others, others in the family did not have. Among those blessings included the right to be chief over the family. And it also entitled him to a double portion of the father's inheritance. In the case of Esau, that would have made him a very rich man because his father Isaac was a very rich man. The Bible says that Isaac was someone who owned a lot of land. And he owned a lot of flocks and a lot of herds. He had a lot of possessions. And when he finally died, Esau would get the majority of those possessions. Esau would get a whole lot more than his brother Jacob received. And the only reason I'm bringing that up to you right now is because I believe that knowing that information and understanding that information will only better help us understand what's going on here in Genesis 25. You see, here in Genesis 25, my friends, 
we read about a time when Esau actually exchanged his birthright blessing as the firstborn for a pot of stew. That's right. He actually gave up his birthright blessing for a pot of stew. In Genesis chapter 25, let's start with verse number 27. Genesis chapter 25, verse number 27. The Bible says that when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now notice how going back all the way to the time of the Old Testament, we learn something that's true even to this day, and that is when you got at least two kids, all of your kids are different, right? All of your kids are different. They got different personalities, different character traits, different things they like to do and don't like to do. That's true of, of my children, and I'm pretty sure it's also true with yours. Esau and Jacob were very different from one another, even though they were twins. It says in verse number 28 that Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. He favored Esau because he was a man's man. He was an outdoors man. He had a taste for game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Notice how both of these parents made the terrible mistake of picking a favorite. That's a big no-no when you got more than one child. You never pick favorites. That would cause problems for the family. It would cause problems for every family that we, we, we can read about doing this in the Bible. Verse 29 says, when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am, for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. Notice how dramatic he's been. I'm about to die. So what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him. He sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Notice carefully what the Holy Spirit tells us about an occasion in the lives of these brothers when they became young men. The Bible says that when these two brothers became young men, there was a time when Esau came, he returned from hunting game, from hunting in the field, and he saw his brother Jacob cooking some stew. He saw his brother Jacob cooking a delicious meal that must have smelled and looked pretty good, and he wanted some of that. He wanted some of that delicious stew. In fact, he went to his brother Jacob and he asked him, can, can I have some of that? Can I have some of that delicious stew? And Jacob, being the very shrewd and younger sibling that he was, he saw this as an opportunity. He saw this as an opportunity to take Esau's blessing. He saw Esau in a vulnerable situation, and he told him that he would give him some of that stew if he first sold him his birthright. He says, I give you some of this stew if you first give me your birthright. And unfortunately, Esau being short-sighted and solely focused on the moment, he gave in to that request. 
He foolishly made that deal. He actually gave away or exchanged his birthright blessing for one pot of stew. He gave his birthright blessing away for a pot of stew. That's what the Bible says. And I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but when I read this account in the scripture, when I read what Moses wrote here, I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of questions about what Esau did on this occasion. For example, one of the things I want to know is I want to know what in the world was he thinking? What in the world was he thinking exchanging a double portion of his rich father's inheritance for a pot of stew? I want to know what was he thinking. And I also want to know how good was the stew. <laughs> how good was the stew? I mean, even if this stew was as good as one of those Popeye's chicken sandwiches, did he really think it was worth his birthright? Did he really think it was worth him selling away his birthright? I want to know how good was the stew. And I also want to know, did he later regret his decision? What do you think? Did he later regret the decision he made to give away a double portion of his father's inheritance for one bowl of stew? Will you go in your Bible, please, with me to the book of Hebrews? I want to ask you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. You know, it is interesting how when it comes to this last question, we don't have to guess. We don't have to wander. We don't have to ponder on it very long because the Hebrew writer gives us the answer to it. Here in Hebrews chapter 12, after or while trying to persuade us as Christians to never leave Jesus, he says in Hebrews 12 and verse number 15, verse 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Now watch verse 16. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it. He sought for it with tears. Notice how the Holy Spirit tells us here that after making that bad exchange, as time went by, Esau regretted it. As time went by, Esau came to his senses and he regretted giving away his birthright for a bowl of stew. He eventually realized that he paid too much for something that only brought him temporary satisfaction. Esau made a bad decision on this occasion for his inheritance. The question, though, is, is what about you? What about you? How much do you value your inheritance as a Christian? How much do you value your, your spiritual birthright? How much do you value the spiritual reward that you have waiting for you? from your heavenly father. What would you give in exchange for your spiritual inheritance 
in heaven. I want you to go in your Bible, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1 now. Listen to what Peter says here in 1 Peter 1, and I really want you to remember these verses this morning. Here we find a New Testament application from the account we read in Genesis chapter 25. This is how it applies to us. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. The Bible says this, Peter speaking to Christians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. As Christians, we have a living hope, not a dead hope, a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain a what? An inheritance. You see that? An inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, if you're a Christian, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Notice how Peter says that as Christians, as children of God today, like in the case of Esau, we're in a position to receive a wonderful inheritance. Do you see that? Right now, as Christians, we are in a position to obtain a great blessing from our Father who is in heaven, except the inheritance or the blessing that awaits us. It is so much more valuable than the inheritance or the blessing of, of Esau. You see, unlike the inheritance of Esau, the Bible says that our inheritance is imperishable and undefiled and it won't fade away when this world is destroyed. It won't be burned up when the Lord comes back and judgment day begins because unlike a nice big house or a nice car or a million dollars in a bank account, our inheritance, the scripture says, it's in heaven. It's in the spiritual paradise of God. It is with God the Father. It's with God the Son, Jesus. It's with the Holy Spirit. It's in a place where there is everlasting peace and freedom from all the troubles of this life. That's what the Bible has to say about our inheritance as Christians. The question is, what are you willing to exchange for it? What are you willing to exchange for your inheritance? What price tag are you willing to put on your birthright? In the case of Esau, the price of his inheritance to him was a bowl of stew. It was one meal that brought him temporary satisfaction. The question is, what's your price? What's your price? What's the price of your inheritance? What are you willing to exchange for that which is imperishable and undefiled and is reserved in heaven for you? Are you willing to exchange your spiritual inheritance for worldly riches? Are you willing to exchange it for money and stuff for the in the, in the perishable things of, of this life, I ask you that because that is exactly what we read about so many people doing in the New Testament. Remember, isn't that exactly what Judas did in his life? Remember, even though he, Jesus handpicked him, even though he was handpicked to be an apostle by the Lord, 
even though Jesus loved him. Even though Jesus died for him, even though he knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was who he claimed to be because for three years he saw him do things that superseded the laws of nature. Even though Judas was very close with Jesus for three years, he gave up that relationship for 30 pieces of silver. He gave up that relationship for worldly riches, for money. The Bible says money was more important to, Ju to Judas than Jesus. Money was more important than his spiritual inheritance. And we find something similar taking place over in Mark chapter 10. When you go to Mark chapter 10, do you remember the account that Mark gives us here about the rich young ruler? Remember that? Remember the rich young ruler who had a conversation with Jesus? Mark chapter 10 and verse 17, the Bible says, as he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to go to heaven? That's the question. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That's the interesting thing Jesus says there. And with that, Jesus is getting this young man, this rich young ruler, to understand that by calling him good, he's acknowledging his deity. He's acknowledging that he believes that Jesus is God, which he is. He says to him, verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20, he says, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. I'm a good person. I've kept the commandments of God. I've done the things that God has said. I should be good, right? Well, verse 21 says, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. Jesus loved him like he loves everybody. And he said to him, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving. For he was one who owned much property. What a sad, sad account we find here in the Gospel of Mark. Look at verse 17 there very carefully. Notice how in verse 17, the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he asks a great question. He asks him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. Wouldn't you agree? In fact, I can't think of a better question to ask Jesus. This man wants to know what I need to do to inherit eternal life. That's a great question. The only problem was, is he didn't like the answer the Lord gave. It appears that he thought that after he told Jesus that he had been faithful to some commandments of God, Jesus was going to say to him, you're perfect. You got it going on. You're right where you need to be. Your ticket to heaven has been punched and there's nothing you can do to change that. You're good. He thought that the Lord was going to stop right there when he acknowledged how he had kept some commandments of God. But that's not what the Lord did, is it? Notice how the Lord did not tell him. 
that he had earned his ticket to heaven because he kept some commandments of God. Instead, the Lord told him that he was just like everybody else, just like everybody else. He also was lacking. He also had some problems. His problems were, were that he loved his stuff more than he loved the Lord. He loved his money more than he loved God. That was his problem. And if we're not careful, guess what? We can fall into that same trap. We can develop that same spirit. We can develop that same attitude. We all, if we're not careful, can begin to value money and stuff more than we value the things of God. For example, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves constantly taking overtime on our jobs so we can make more money and, and please our boss and forsaking the assembly of worship. We can find ourselves giving God the leftovers and the collection plate on Sunday instead of giving him our first fruits. As Brother Ryan said in his remarks, we can find ourselves lying and being unethical when we file our taxes in April or when we engage in other business practices. We can do those things out of a spirit of greediness. You see, if we're not careful, the devil can creep into our lives. And he can persuade us to give away our inheritance for worldly riches, for money and stuff and the things of this life. The devil can persuade us, if we're not careful, to exchange our inheritance for worldly riches. But not only can he persuade us to do that, a second thing he can persuade us to do, if we're not careful, is he can also persuade us to exchange our inheritance for sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Hebrews 13, 4. What does it say? Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Matthew 19 and verse 9, after Jesus talks about the permanency of marriage, in verse number 6 of that chapter, he then says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another commits adultery. Brothers and sisters, unfortunately, like in the case of Esau, for so many Christians, they will actually exchange their inheritance in heaven for an opportunity to violate what these verses say. For an opportunity to to experience the temporary pleasure that may come with living some, with someone without the benefits of marriage. Or to engage in an unlawful marriage or to have an affair against their spouse. So often Christians, and I've seen this happen, you probably have as well. They'll exchange their inheritance. They'll give it away completely to live their life in immorality. And while that decision may bring them some brief satisfaction now, I want us to understand that it will bring them absolutely no satisfaction in the horrors of hell. It will bring them absolutely no satisfaction in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternal fire. Remember, Esau exchanged his inheritance for something that only brought him momentary relief 
And later he regretted doing that. And Christians who follow in his footsteps, they're one day going to feel the same way. When they die, they're going to realize they made a very bad exchange, except the consequences for making that exchange are going to be far more severe than what Esau experienced. Some Christians exchange their inheritance for worldly riches. Others for sexual immorality. Then third and finally, I want to say that some exchange it for their own pride. Pride. In Proverbs 16 and verse 18, Solomon says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Jesus says it this way in Luke 18 and verse 14. He says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. I got to tell you that out of all the points that I have on the slide this morning, the issue of pride may be the top thing that Christians are willing to exchange for their inheritance. You see, unfortunately, for many Christians, they rather hang on to their pride than to their inheritance. They rather hang on to their pride instead of humbling themselves and giving up anger and bitterness and forgiving a brother or sister who has done them wrong. They rather hang on to their pride than give up a false doctrine. They rather hang on to their pride than give up drinking or lying or, or hatred or ungodly friends. They rather hang on to their pride than repent and turn away from a sin that the scripture clearly says hurts God. Unfortunately, for so many people, they rather hang on to their pride than hang on to Jesus. And while that decision may bring them some momentary satisfaction, I want us to understand that on the day of judgment, it's going to be revealed to be a mistake. It's going to be a terrible mistake. There are many other examples I could talk with you about this morning, but here's my point, okay? My point is, I don't care what we put on this slide. My dear friends, there is no price tag that we can put on our inheritance. There is no deal that the devil can offer us that is worth exchanging our inheritance in heaven. Our inheritance is worth so much more than any temporary sinful satisfaction in this life. And I just want to close this morning by asking you that as, that as you sit in the pew on this day, are you on a path to receive this inheritance? Are you on a path to receive this wonderful inheritance from God? We're about to sing a song of invitation, and then we're going to have a brief break. But maybe during that time, there's somebody here who wants to respond to the gospel. Maybe there's someone here who through faith and repentance and baptism is ready to give their life to God and put yourself on the path to receive the wonderful inheritance that awaits you in heaven. If that is your desire this morning, or if you need to repent and come back to God, whatever your spiritual need may be, you come to the front right now. We'll help you. Let's stand. Let's sing.